This is Movies, a podcast about the active cinema. I am your host, Lorez, and we are back after a bit of a break. It's been a turbulent time, but that's okay, because we have Hans L. with us tonight. L. Hans. <laughs> yeah, hello. Hi. Yes, you've, you've informed me today you don't want to use your full name on anything anymore. Why is this, Hans? I, uh, I honestly think that in a... 20 years, hopefully before that, I'll just move to a mountain and live there without any type of contact with the outside world. I don't want my full name to be out there. So I guess bringing attention into it right now is probably not the greatest idea. But but yeah, I don't I don't want to use like my, my full, you know, both Latino last names and everything because easy to find me. Yes. Yes, I suppose it is. And we're going to be discussing today, especially for this episode, I would assume... Who knows what you can expect from Hans when we're talking about a Spike Lee joint, (laughs) The Five Bloods. Black GI, is it fair to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the Soul Brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. Gentlemen, welcome back to Vietnam. Look at that Better man in all his glory. Who was that guy? That brother was the best damn soldier that ever lived. We bury it. They don't. We come back and collect. Resign the presidency. Being back here, it is not easy. Broken man. So what, you blaming yourself? You don't even know. And people have not really been talking about it too much, but have have people been talking about movies at all lately? Uh, not unless you're talking about movies from 40 years ago that were all of a sudden canceling and removing parts of. That's the only movie talk that's going on lately. No, that, that, that is true. I've seen Gone with the Wind will be 
pulled from HBO Max, actually JK, we're going to put it back on there and we're going to do the Looney Tunes thing where we put a disclaimer at the front of it. That was so predictable to me. You're not going to take the highest grossing film, one of the most popular films of all time, Gone with the Wind, off of your streaming platform if you intended to put it on there to begin with. Again, if if, if it was this big moral conundrum for them, they wouldn't have included it to start, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So this was entirely manufactured to have people talking about Gone with the Wind, which is an old, boring movie, <laughs> and now people are going to be tuning into it because they'll be thinking, "Ha ha, fuck you guys!" While they pay the "fuck you guys" fifteen dollars a month just to do that one time. Do you think everyone's just enjoying that movie now with? modern day sensibilities where it's like yeah we won we got it back and then they start watching it and realize it's something that they never wanted to watch to begin with yes uh, if they even get to that point I strongly doubt people will even turn it on and watch it for more than five minutes if they are passionately involved in this culture war that's happening maybe they wind up buying the blu-ray now that it's probably going to be a, a more moderate price it's not going to be selling for $180 like it was a week Oof. ago what who feels like an idiot now buying that for 180 when it's going to be like $12 on Amazon again this is going to be re-released and it's going to have a, a POC lady in the front just just doing the finger thing to to make sure that everyone feels bad about this movie yes. that's that's what they're doing right just someone is explaining the context before the movie with a very stern voice and serious look on their face yeah, they should have Lin-Manuel Miranda step out from behind a curtain and explain the film, like the beginning of Frankenstein. Do, do a little rap about the movie. I, I, have you seen the trailer to Hamilton the movie, which is just Hamilton the stage play, but recorded for Disney Plus? Yeah. Are we going to talk about that yeah. on this show? I mean, it is being toted as a film, as a movie, even though it's not. You're going to make me watch that. <laughs> I, I think I've heard one song and I don't think I finished it. It's just very, it feels very dat rap to me. Mm. You know, like, you know, those old 90s videos of white people rapping and then yeah. trying to rap without saying the N word and without being offensive, but just like still doing the little rapping thing. It feels like that, but with a Mexican guy doing it instead of, you know, white people. He's Mexican, right? Uh, Mexican, right? Puerto Rican. Okay. They could have gotten Macklemore for that. What's he What's yeah. he up to nowadays? Nobody knows. He strategically went into hiding during the most abrasive and turbulent time in the country's modern history. What's uh, Post Malone doing? Is he in protest? He's overdosing, probably. I don't know. Shooting heroin at his mansion. That's what he should be doing. But these 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 things are are going to be forgotten. You know, the the, the conversation fodder that's being had right now about what kind of art should be removed from the dialogue. I think that's going to continue, unfortunately, but um, I, I, I don't see it as really preventable. What are you going to persuade Twitter from not allowing gifts from uh, 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 in the heat of the night? (laughs) (laughs) That was, that was the first film that came to mind featuring potential (laughs) racism. Not gonna be able to use my birth of a nation gift anymore. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. That's a little too on the nose. It's too typical. Yeah. Good, good luck using that anyway without social stigma. Gone with the Wind does not have social stigma to it. Birth of a Nation. People don't even want to see that clip of Stanley Kubrick uh, priding that film in D.W. Griffith from the 90s. 
they, you know, I, I saw a Twitter thread. Somebody had reposted that, and they were talking about wanting to drag Kubrick over it. But a dead, a dead man. A dead man. It doesn't matter whether you're alive or dead. I mean, Spike Lee almost got canceled for defending good old Woody Allen. He said this cancel culture has run amok. Woody Allen, he should be allowed to work. And then he said on and Twitter, then, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. Thank you guys for holding me accountable, which is always the move. You have to thank the people that want to cut your head off. No, 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 no. Thank you. I made the mistake. You're right. You got a blade at my throat. You're right. I, look, I made a mistake. It was a joke. You know, it was, I was joking. It was a joke. I'm 65, and I've actually lived through real racism, but please educate me more. I need to be re-educated on this. Well, Spike, and then you oh, – I was going to say Spike Lee is an interesting case, and we'll, we'll probably get into this a little bit today because you would assume him to take whatever like the popular quote-unquote mainstream black stances on politics or race regarding the police or, or what have you, and he doesn't do anything to, to like buck the trend of that, but he's not really with that. Like If you take a look at how Black Klansmen got made – he took a significant cut of money from the New York City Police Department uh, to to fund that movie and make the cops look good, you know. And he got called out by Boots Riley, who did "Sorry to Bother You" on Twitter over that. And I believe I saw recently that he's not with the whole abolish the police trend that's being discussed in the press today, and is certainly right. a big talking point among many of the protesters and um, you know left wing types. Do you think he still thinks his hmm. – like I'm wondering if people still see him as a voice of whatever voice he was in the 90s, uh, thinking that his movies are still there to make a statement and to make a change. Uh, because that's what this this movie felt like. Like he was trying to say something, but it, yeah, no, no, I, no one needs to hear it. <laughs> something that, that, you know, very much – everyone else is saying so you know what i mean like it's do you think he still thinks he's culturally irrelevant to that point maybe i it's difficult to say i know he had very high expectations for black Klansman when that got nominated for some oscars and when he didn't win best picture or best director or something he wound up leaving the ceremony prematurely uh. um I'm not, sure, a, I'm not sure about you that. You think a, a, a Knicks fan would be used to losing enough <laughs> where he would be gracious about it? That's for Jerry. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that film reviewers today, I'm talking like Chris Stuckman types or, or whoever you would imagine being popular on YouTube or in the press, whoever works for like IndieWire, maybe view him through the same scope as they would a Jordan Peele, but they're probably not as familiar with Spike Lee's work. Right. And something you'll find, especially in his earlier films, is a lot of nuance regarding these subjects. Like, his public personality does not match the content of his films. If you watch Do the Right Thing, you know, maybe you get an idea that he views uh, who is in the right and who's in the wrong there in a certain way. But the actual meat of that movie and the, and the climax of it is handled with a lot of gray and nuance that you don't right. find when he's doxing what he believes to be George Zimmerman's <laughs> parents and turns out to be just an innocent elderly couple in Florida. You know? But, but that's the thing. I 
immediately after I was done watching this, I went to Rotten Tomatoes just to see what people are thinking. And this movie uh, has a 92% fresh by reviewers and a yeah. 54 by audience. Uh, which and, and then you start reading them and they all start with the same, you know, in these difficult times or, you know, on the contrary, it feels compressed. But so, so it's just very much of this is happening now or this movement is happening now. So it would be wrong of me to criticize this movie made by a, a black director. So I'm just going to throw the biggest praise at it, even though it's not really anything special. Well, okay. So my review of this movie is going to be very different from your review because I know you yeah. think Spike Lee is a hag. And as Oof. soon as as soon as Hans finished this movie, he immediately went to our group <laughs> chat and started griping about it in the worst way possible. But uh, for what it's worth, I thought this movie was one of the more enjoyable movies to come out this year. But 2020 is a terrible year for movies. That's yeah, not even mean, a compliment. I don't know. I think I think the top movie I got for the year right now still might be The Way Back with Ben Affleck, which is really just like a C tier. Uh, sports coach. I'm an alcoholic. It's really just like Ben Affleck PR. It's like it's. I mean, it was made for him to have a better image in real life. I guess if you would ask me to choose between the big Missy or the what the wrong Missy and this, right. then yeah, fine, best movie of the 2020s. But yeah, I just I didn't I didn't enjoy any part of it to be honest. Wow. And and what what sucks is that I really like three of the actors that I really know their their work or yeah. other things they've done before and uh, I really couldn't care about any of the characters in this movie. It felt very shallow even though we see them on screen for two and a half hours. All of the three dimensions that he tried to introduce for every character felt very rushed and it felt more like like they were just doing exposition so they were being like, hey, remember that war when we did that thing? That's crazy, remember? Like, while they talk, while they walk, but nothing else is happening, which is just pretty much, hey, here's my backstory. But they never show any of that. So to me, it was really difficult to care about the characters when they started dying off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to, to begin there, uh, yeah, I don't know. Two and a half hours felt very long for a movie where I, I, I had no connection with anything that was happening and, and it, it, it very sloppy uh, at points i felt like spike probably didn't even know what type of movie he was making because at times it's like a like a corny move like a corny comedy at other times it gets romantic for some reason yeah a couple of times uh and then nothing happens with that it's just we're just gonna have a couple of romantic scenes out of nowhere and then it's like a war movie and then it's like a psychological you know someone's going crazy movie so i I don't know. I feel like maybe the fact that he has to fill up two and a half hours at the end, the, the tone is all over the place, and I just, yeah, I could, I, I wasn't engaged at all. So I think, I think the length of it and maybe how scattershot it is, is a result of uh, Netflix not really being a creative censor as far as uh, filmmakers go. Obviously, we saw The Irishman was almost four hours long. They didn't bother saying to Scorsese at any point maybe trim that down and uh you know i have seen people one person on twitter uh have the complaint that oh wow scorsese gets a hundred million dollars to dh his actors spike lee who's the black equivalent to scorsese this was Mm -hmm. this was literally said um gets none of that 
But I'll tell you what. I really enjoyed the flashbacks in this movie, creatively speaking, where they had the old actors fighting alongside Chadwick Boseman, who's like their fallen comrade. I thought that looked cool. I thought that was a better way of handling that than getting... And, and this is a problem just in general when you have uh, a, a, you know, characters that are significant in their youth and now they're older, those types of films, mm-hmm. where you have young actors who don't have as much charisma and maybe they're cast because they have a vague... Uh, uh, a similar ar- a similarity, yeah, uh, to the a- the main actors of the film, and there's not a good com- camaraderie there. These actors have good camaraderie, yeah. And for the scenes that Chadwick Boseman is featured in, I think it plays well, and it it does what it's supposed to do within the film. That seems to be one of the main complaints that people have about the movie, and I I thought it was a very interesting artistic decision yeah and i i I didn't really mind uh because i don't think the movie ever presents them as action heroes or like invisible gi joe men uh even though they do take down like a a small army at the end but uh it's very realistic so seeing this old man just running around uh it's not i don't know it, it didn't take me out i uh the thing that did take me out though is seeing uh Chadwick Boseman not doing the fake African voice. <laughs> like, I was expecting him to talk like Black Panther when he first started, and I was like, whoa, this is weird. But, but yeah, I, di- I didn't mind that part. I thought it was in- I th- at least one of the few interesting slash, uh, what would you say, experimental things that he pulled here uh, that I feel he used to do more with his old movies. Again, I, I haven't really seen many of his recent ones, but uh, camera work, I feel like it was lacking a lot of the creativity that he showed at the beginning. I feel like the only two, I, I felt like two shots in this movie were Spike Lee shots. The first one was when uh, we zoom in into the bullet of Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman when he reveals that he was shot. And then the end when, when uh, um, I don't remember the character's name, but he's with his Asian, half Asian daughter and they're doing the zoom pool thing with yeah. the dolly. Those two. Otherwise, like, if you had told me that anyone else directed the movie, I would have believed you because it didn't really feel or it didn't really have that camera work, at least, that you would expect in a movie from him. Yeah, his early 90s work especially has that signature camera work where he does get experimental and he develops his own style probably by the time Do the Right Thing comes out in 1989. And older Spike Lee has gotten a little lazy in that regard. And if you take a look at his work from the aughts, something like, oh, God, um, 25th Hour or Jesus. No, I mean, if we're we're talking about early 10s, Chirac, Old Boy, these are movies to avoid like the plague. Or uh, The Sweet Blood of Jesus, which is a a unofficial remake of Ganja and Hess, but it's, it's very poorly done. It has terrible acting in it. These movies are really like, how did Spike Lee's career not die on the spot when these films were released? He did have Red Hook Summer with Clark Peters, who's also in this movie. And, uh, you know, I rewatched that somewhat recently. And I enjoyed it the first time, but it was better than I had remembered when I initially watched it. Even though the child actors are atrocious in their acting. They're literally just, it's like they're reading off of the page looking into the camera. It's it's bad. But Clark Peters' performance is great, and it takes a very weird turn about three-quarters away into the movie that you're not anticipating at all. Kind of like this movie. This movie right. starts out as one movie, 
and it ends as something totally different, which I was not anticipating. What I thought I was signing on for was, oh, this is going to be like a serious version of Old Dogs, you know, or, right. or uh, uh, Wild Hogs, but all black. What's the What's the uh, George Lucas one? Red uh, Tails. Yes, <laughs> I was thinking Red Tails, but Army Man. Hopefully not as racist. <laughs> That's what I was I was thinking, but no, this is a uh, an epic. It, Two and a half hour epic. That that's certainly what was aimed for, anyway. Uh, and I do like the cast. I like the fact that he's utilizing Delroy Lindo again and Clark Peters. You have a good roundup of the four main actors in this movie, and also a, a very good supporting cast with like uh, Paul Walter Hauser and the uh, the other guy from Black Klansman and Jean Renault, who is now fatter than Paul Walter Hauser. Did you see the size of that man? What a hog! I thought he was a. Uh... Gerard Depardieu at first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What the fuck happened to Leon? He is what so... What do you do, Leon? His neck is very thick. His neck is about as thick as this Dunkin' Donuts cup in my hand right now. It's a large. What happened? That was all that Godzilla movie. Godzilla 1997. Royalty checks. Always plays on TNT, TBS. Bruno Brown. Sean Renault. Yep. A man who loves to eat. So... <laughs> Again, I, I thought we were getting old dogs. I thought we were getting wild hogs, Last Vegas. And really what Spike Lee kind of does in a sideways manner is do his version of The Wages of Fear or Sorcerer, which is the William Friedkin remake from the 70s, where it becomes uh, much more high stakes. And uh, this is obviously without the vehicles. You're navigating Vietnam. And uh, it gets pretty crazy. It gets pretty wild. Again, I thought this was just going to be like a family-friendly affair. Not right. exactly. So um, you, you know, you you had noted around the fifty-minute mark that it did start to feel like a different movie. Uh, what did you make of the turn? Um, uh, I don't know. I felt really disconnected. It felt. Again, it made me forget about the first 50 minutes that I had watched because it felt like it just went in a completely different direction. So it was it was very, you know, like it was two different episodes of something. Hmm. Um, did you find the beginning to be superior? Because you were also complaining during that time about some of the the writing aspects, maybe maybe the performances. The performances were not. From everyone but the four main characters, I think the performances were pretty bad. And I I saw that Spike Lee was cheating at points because a lot of the dialogue is delivered away from the camera or with the characters with their back turning as a camera. There's a lot of ADR, too, that's just thrown there. Uh, and then I kept rewinding, trying to figure out who was the person that said it, but no one did. So there's a lot of little things like that that, that kind of uh, took me out of it that uh, the... What's the character's name? You just said it. The actor's name. Oh, Clark Peters' love affair or love interest or whatever. She was really bad. She took me out of it as soon as she came on screen. Um, but, yeah, I uh, I don't know. It just – I don't know if I would say it's superior. Maybe because, uh, because they do more of a setup. But at the same time, I feel like, again, the setup was a lot of exposition. It wasn't a lot of them actually showing what their personality was, but they were talking a lot about how – or what their personality was. You know what I mean? Like, there was a lot of discussions and a lot of dialogue between them uh, to show who they were. 
so we have the you know the MAGA guy who's just a, a crazy ex-soldier who was a Donald Trump supporter, and then you have another one that's just very sensitive who's this guy that uh, I get Otis I think his name is. Um, so it's a lot of just let me just tell you about it instead of showing you. So I don't know if as a setup it worked that well as setting them up their own personalities differently, especially because one of the four characters doesn't really talk that much. Uh, the one that kind of looks Indian. I don't, I don't know what his name is. The one uh, who's killed off first, you mean. Yeah, Norm Lewis. Yeah, that's not Indian at all. But, <laughs> but he kind of looked Indian. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like it was a lot of uh, exposition. And, uh, and then when it gets, once it gets going, it, it forgets completely about everything that they did at the beginning. So that's why I found A lot of the critics are being forgiving of that. And maybe yeah. they shouldn't be because it is an issue with the movie and it winds up dragging it on much longer than it needs to. Um, but if, if we're to look at this within Spike Lee's canon, right? Right. Is, is it one of the better films Probably not. Is it one of the better films of his more recent history? I would say definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I liked Black Klansman when it came out. I saw that in theaters because I was like, wow, they actually gave Spike Lee some money to do a real movie, which is very rare. Uh, for some reason, the first one like that was Chirac, and he immediately squandered it by putting Nick Cannon as the lead. <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> Next go around is Black Klansman, and you have it wasn't Blumhouse that produced that, right? It was just Jordan Peele, and I think Universal might have put it out. And that, you know, all things considered, that was the closest thing that felt like old Spike Lee in a long time. Right. Then he gets this movie, and I do think, in some ways, this movie is a major improvement to Black Klansman, which I've since watched. Uh, like this past year and it doesn't hold up as well he has a habit of turning certain characters into cartoons yep. which, is, which has always been the case with his films but it has definitely more so become an issue with his more recent releases uh, Black Klansman is absolutely guilty of that and I think this film does the same thing in uh, maybe not as maybe not as on the nose as that that film, but it, it, it's still a problem. Um, well, I think Delroy Lindo end up, ends up becoming a stereotype of an unhinged person. And, and I feel like there's not really a lot of things that happen to him. So they try to set him up as this guy that suffers from PTSD, right? He's the one that's the most affected of the group. Uh, he's the one that's still holding a grudge for whatever reason, even though it's been like, what, 40 years, 50 years? Uh, he's still going like uh, eyeing the Vietnamese and like having issues with Vietnamese people, even though it's been like 40 years or whatever, how long it's been. Uh, and then he, like at some point, he saves his son from blowing up with a mine. And then something happens and he's like, You're not my son anymore. And like he just starts going crazy for no reason. There's not like one incident that you can point at. Uh, at one point, which I thought was really fun, there's a lot of really funny parts of this movie, by the way. Uh, one of the, the my favorite was one was when he was walking with the with the gold, and then a snake jumped in his arm and like bit him. And he had a knife on his hand, and instead of using the hand, he threw throws the. Uh, I mean, he 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 had a knife, and instead of using the knife to take the snake out, he throws it and then starts grabbing at the snakes to pull it. So 
decisions like that where it's like, okay, so I'm supposed to believe that this is a soldier that was a badass in Vietnam. Uh, and then, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like he's, he's transformation from I'm a MAGA guy to I'm unhinged. Uh, there wasn't anything big that caused it. And then at the end, it ends up becoming kind of cartoony how he gets killed, mm-hmm. you know, in a very exaggerated way because he's singing out loud. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. There's, there's, there's a bevy of problems with this movie. I think it just comes down to how much you're willing to forgive from a filmmaker that is iconic. I know you're not really a fan, but I think Spike Lee is probably one of the top three more influential filmmakers to come out of the 90s, along with Tarantino and uh, maybe Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, what, what, what is your problem with, with Spike Lee's filmmaking? I feel like he doesn't get criticized fairly because most uh, reviewers are afraid of being painted as racist. Uh, and I and I say that by just reading uh, cr- critiques for this movie because even if you're liked it, even like you, there's still issues with it. It's not a perfect movie, but the fact that he's you know a, a, a legend uh, and uh, an African American legend or whatever, I feel like a lot of people are afraid of criticizing his movies because they're not perfect, especially lately. Uh, so the fact that that he gets that pass or he gets the pass of like. You know, we're we're willing to uh, look over that or look past that because he's a legend or whatever. I I don't care about that. Like I I think okay, so if I'm gonna watch a movie because of a director, fine. But I'm also expecting it to be good. And if he was doing his whole Spike Lee stick with this, where the movie was really experimental, you can see a lot of his hand in it. Then fine, okay. So that's just a character that exists in his world. But this movie doesn't really feel like that. But then there's these elements like that character where you're like, okay, so this is kind of like a Spike Lee character, but it's not a part of this universe or it feels weird as being a part of that universe. And I feel like he gets a pass on little things like that or maybe not even small things like that just because of his race. And it's horrible to say that because you shouldn't even have to think about the director when you're watching a movie. You should just see it as a movie and it's all merits. But it's not that I think his movies suck. I just think that he gets a lot of praise because of his early work. And uh, most of his bad movies are ignored because of how good his early movies were. Do you think that that enables his more self-indulgent behaviors as a director? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. That's the mindset, right? You start believing your own bullshit. When people start telling you their farts don't stink, then you're just going to fart wherever and, you know... It's just, you know, it, it could be a stinky fart. That's a terrible analogy. But it could be a stinky fart. And if no one tells you, you're just like, oh, this is amazing. My farts don't stink. You know? <laughs> That's terrible. You know what I was going to say? Uh, I feel like he actually got more negative criticism outside of this particular era or maybe this decade. But I'm I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes. And actually, this, this isn't even a fair – I can't look at Rotten Tomatoes right now and go, okay, well – uh, if we go back to 1998, you know, he did get criticized or maybe he did get great v- reviews for this awful movie because a lot of the reviews are also written in like 2015, 2014. It's all through a modern lens. Like I remember back in the day, in the early days of Rotten Tomatoes, Tim Burton's Batman, the original 1989 Batman, had like a 60 percent. 
And I have a feeling if I looked at that now, it would be closer to like 75 or 80%. So it, they're constantly adding new reviews to the database. So I can't really say whether or not Spike Lee did get judged more harshly earlier in his career or maybe a decade ago. But there is certain outrages as far as uh, uh, the critical perception of these movies. Like Chirac got an, an astoundingly good amount of reviews, which is bizarre to me. That's purely right. insane. Um, something like, uh, uh, I don't know, even, you know, 47% is is terrible, but it's not that bad. Like that, if you're watching a 47% movie, you might like it. You might find some value yeah. in that. The Sweet Blade of Jesus should be like 15%. That's 47% on Rotten Tomatoes. Old Boy, Old Boy has a 40%. Oof. Old Boy's awful. Awful, awful movie, all around. And then, even, even if and you not just not, yeah, you, I was about to say the same thing. You're yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even yeah. if you if you even if you remove the the 2003 Old Boy, right, and you just looked at it as this individual film, bad acting, really forced bad twist, uh, yeah, just just not good. And uh, these movies are handled what I would consider generously. So maybe there's something to that, but I don't feel like that has been the case for his entire career. Uh, as a matter of well, fact, I think it's more specific to maybe the past 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm talking about that because that's when I kind of became aware of movies and care about that type of shit. Like when when his 90s movies came out, I was living here in Costa Rica, so I wasn't very aware of him as a, as a director or even cared, I don't think, uh, when I was 20, 21, I was still not that much into movies. So I, I only know the praise that he gets now because I never went through, you know, or, or paid attention to whatever criticism he got early in his career. But the thing that I hear now is that. And then when I see his movies, there's, I find a lot of issues and I find it weird that for whatever reason, you know, he's still being seen as one of the greatest, which, I mean, some people can, can think that or whatever, but... He, I feel like he gets sometimes passes that other directors don't just because of that. Just because it's like, well, it's Spike Lee, so you're supposed to like it because he's a legend. Same with, with you know, the, the um, example of Scorsese, like you said. You might not like all of his movies, but he's always going to get like a little bit of a break from people that like his shit. You will never live to see a Scorsese film get a negative review on Rotten Tomatoes that's released from like here to this point forward. Uh you know, if the, if there was going to be one, I, I can't even really give an example of what that might be, because his movies are also just good enough. Where if he made like a C tier film, it would still get probably like eighty five percent positive reviews. Right. You know, uh, that that that's just how things work uh, within the industry. But to see that this movie has a ninety two percent is uh, bewildering. From, from just an objective standpoint. Um, I Again, and I, I, I like this movie for the most part. I definitely thought there were m major issues with the, the story and how things were handled. And, uh, you know, some of the performances are, are just not there. Um, yeah. I really was befuddled by the fact that uh, Clark Peters' character, his, uh, his Vietnamese mistress, is only like 50 years old. <laughs> and uh, what would that make her like 14 years old max during the time of the Vietnam War and he's clearly like pushing 70 he's got to be in his mid 60s yep. very uh, very troubling very confusing that daughter only looks about what like early 40s max 
Yeah. I don't know. Boys, no one, no one's asking those questions. <laughs> Couldn't <laughs> we have just questions. had? I mean, w- would it be that that much of a problem to just like set this in 2010 or 2000 and make it a little middle? But you can't have the Trump jabs then. You know, you yeah. have Delroy Lindo's character who is a Ugh. Trump supporter, Ugh. and. Uh, you know, it's it, it. That's fine if he's gonna. You know, you're 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 in a Spike Lee film. Uh, you gotta accept that. That's just the confines you're 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 watching this within. Uh, I don't like the fact that he jumps to like news footage. Like, it, yeah, <laughs> that really sucked the the wind out of Black Klansman for me. Is we have the movie, great, okay, that's like a good B movie, okay, and then we have like six minutes of what Spike Lee would probably put in his Twitter feed or in a Facebook post or something. And it's just like clips of Trump and then Charlottesville. And it's like, you didn't have to do this. I, I well, mean, it's what, not anything new for him, but I, yeah. I, I understand that he's political, but can you at least fucking do a rewrite of the shit you're writing? Cause it feels like he just got the stuff from his Twitter account. And then, Oh, here it is. The, what did he say? The, I, I, I wrote down a couple of lines. One of them was, uh, you Americans are just incredibly uninformed. I guess you're too busy watching reality TV or electing a reality TV clown for a president. This was said by an actor or a character that literally just sat down on a, on a table, had no idea what anyone was talking about. He just said that because he was a American. Uh, and then the line after that was, well, on behalf of all the black folks in the USA, which are... Hold on, I believe he stands. He stands first yeah, and no, puts no, his hand yet. on his chest. Not yet. No, not yet. Oh. He said, we, yeah, not yet. He said, which are the only group that didn't vote for the motherfucker. And then he got up and he's like, we plead innocence to all charges, claims, accusations, allegations, and associations connected to the Klansman in the Oval Office. So shit like that is like, okay, so I understand that you don't like him. And I understand that you want to throw jabs at him because it's fun. Can you try a little bit to not just grab tweets? Like I was waiting for an orange man you know, I was expecting one of those that never came, thankfully. But just like try a little bit, so it doesn't just sound like yeah, you're looking at replies on his Twitter feed. You know, I would respect it more if that was funneled into something specifically creative that could live outside of the the framework of the moment that we're living in, right? So I get all right to just rewind back to Black Klansman, where he shows Trump footage or or whatever. Um, I would have thought it would have been a better move and probably more effective in channeling the message if he just shot and scripted something that illustrated the point he was trying to make with real live footage, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe there's a march or something that takes place in 2016 or 2017 and you have actors and you you do that your own way as opposed to just showing the reality. Now, maybe there's something to be said where it's like, okay, well, this is the movie you watched and this is reality and he's trying to connect some kind of idea that hey this is serious this is important but still i i think people going to a movie are going to a movie they don't want to be dealt the director's direct personal opinions on current events necessarily so much as they want it handled in a certain way you know but also it, it the, he's only thinking about this year because let's say that trump loses in november and someone watches this movie three years from now, you think everyone's going to remember what people felt about Trump right now when George Bush is now a good boy? You know what I mean? Like, it's going to turn. So this is going to feel weird whenever 
people decide that Trump is good now, which is going to happen because that always happens. So it's also a lack of like even thinking, you know, a couple of years ahead where maybe let's not be so specific about this one person that's not going to be there when people are watching it later. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe, but that, I, I feel like that's also presumptuous. I, I, I don't think that Trump is going to get the same treatment. I don't know. I really don't want to get into politics, but I don't think Trump's going to get the same treatment as George W. Bush um, just because George W. Bush was still an establishment politician. You know, I think that's right. really the difference between the two. And I, I think the histories will show different when all is said and done. But uh, I, I, I think there is something to the point of all of this will be rendered irrelevant to the movie itself when yeah. we do fast forward well, a couple of years. And And what you say about him including his political views in the movie i'm perfectly okay with as long as it makes sense within the story but in this case it felt like that scene was just thrown in there specifically for this because the the character is flirting with this french woman uh that uh he just met and then you just have two europeans come and shit on him and then this dialogue happens and then the scene ends and there's no point to it other than i'm gonna dunk on trump now and for a movie that's two and a half hours, I I didn't need that. You know, there's there's some trim, trim trimming that you could have done. And I feel like that's one of the scenes. If it wasn't for that line, I don't think that scene would have even been included. Because it does nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that is probably one of the smaller issues with this movie. Oh, yeah. You know, I, well, I, I well, think we're getting hung up on a 50 second yeah. scene that really did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <clears throat> it wasn't great. But. I have more of an issue with the fact that things just get completely off the rails. You know, yeah. now what what do you think this movie could have done differently in handling itself in the transition to that secondary story essentially? Uh I think he should have just refocused where this where he wanted his story to go because it's it's all over the place and that I feel like that's why it feels so disconnected. Uh if he had thought that maybe there, the actions that happen to the characters and how the stakes are raised before the final confrontation, it's very sudden and uh, things happen very luckily. So when they find the gold and when when the mine uh, the mines thing happens, like all of those things feel, feel very out of the blue, like they just happen uh, with a lot of setup before. So maybe just refocus on what you actually want your movie to say and where you want your movie to go and just cut the extra fat because, again, it just felt very – like it was going in a lot of different directions and then it went in a direction that I was not expecting yeah. with that. Uh, what do you think is Spike Lee's best movie? Oof. Well, uh, I, I don't know. Let's see. I feel like, you know, for me anyway, I think the obvious answer is do the right thing. Yeah. That's what he's remembered most for. But I, I, I mean, I would have to comb through his entire filmography before I could definitively say that. Because I think Malcolm X is very good. Yeah, Malcolm X. Malcolm X, I mean, this movie, you can feel he's trying to go for that epic vibe. You would describe it as that earlier. And I think Malcolm right. X is an actual epic movie that he had made um, and and really overcame difficulties with and getting that done through the traditional Hollywood system. 
and I think it's a total success. This movie's nearly incoherent at, at points. Um, yeah. I mean, well, well let, let's just go down the list of what Spike Lee films you, you have seen. Okay. <clears throat> let me just go through this thing. So I've seen, I think I've seen She's Gotta Have It. Uh, the original, not the yeah. Netflix series where it's it's as bad as the 50 seconds we're talking about from this movie as far as the political hammering goes. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Netflix contracted him, and that's probably how they got this movie because I'm pretty sure they contract certain creative entities to do like, all right, well, you'll give us seven hours of content or, or whatever it might be. He did two seasons right. of She's Gotta Have It, the series, which is just like a millennial woke Brooklyn gentrification, whatever, uh, that is not very good, but it does feel like old Spike Lee at points. Okay. Do you watch the whole thing? No, I, I watched the first season, and I, again, I'm a Spike Lee fan, so right. I was like, all right, well, this is better than nothing, and it was difficult. to. I mean, essentially, the story is uh, a woman can have three boyfriends at once, and Spike thinks there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. I don't know. Pro cuckolding like is the message. It's, it's his uh, Mormon film. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, so I've seen I've seen Jungle Fever. I've seen. Uh, hold on a second. Wait. 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 What? We were talking about Jungle Fever before the show very briefly, and you were very dismissive of that. Yeah. I mean, I've only seen it once, so I, I don't really have a recollection of it. That's how I judge it. I haven't seen it recently, so to me, it's just a movie that didn't really leave any lasting impressions on me. That's why I'm so dismissive of it, I guess. Sam Jackson's great in that movie as a crackhead who gets Marvin Gaye. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I thought it was weirdly anti-interracial relationships. Cool. cool. Um, <laughs> some... <laughs> Uh, I've seen Summer of Sam. I just watched that, that last one, night. I remember enjoying that one. What do you think? Uh, I thought that was... that. Uh, that's another one. That that movie is kind of similar. It's actually a good comparison to set against The Five Bloods, where you have okay. uh, a counter framework of the David Berkowitz murders, right? And uh, you have cool transitions. It's very late '90s, kind of, kind of like a Nine Inch Nails music video or Tool or like Spawn the movie. You know that kind of grungy, The Crow, right, right, city right. gothic, Washington D.C., New York City back alley. Uh, there's some cool stuff with that. John Leguizamo, we're supposed to believe he's Italian and not fake Puerto Rican, even though he's, you right. know, he's he got Rachel Dolezal. You know, he's been saying he's yeah. Puerto Rican forever. He's actually Colombian fucking liar this guy he's one of the biggest liars in the biz john leguizamo and Car carlos mencia over there yep 100 percent uh summer sam though it it, it just kind of goes nowhere you know there's not really much of a story to it. it's just john leguizamo not wanting to do anal sex and have blowjobs and do this and that with his wife because he feels like she's too pure and it'll destroy his <laughs> marriage okay so he does all this shit with other women and then they go off to like a swingers club and he watches her get boned by some guy and he like yells at her and calls her a whore in the car and kicks her out. And then she starts talking about how she's going to suck a, a black man's Johnson, you know? 
There's no like black where's, people in the movie except for Spike Berkowitz? Lee. That's that's um, where's Berkowitz in it? <laughs> How does he come into the? It's totally separate. It's just he's there's a fat guy in a part in an apartment getting headaches and just like rocking back and forth and yelling at a dog, uh, and then the dog uh, enters his apartment and it's John Turturro speaking through the dog's uh, mouth, saying, "Kill, kill, for, <laughs> kill for me." Um, and but it's it's really nothing to do with that. It's Adrian Brody and he's like a gay stripper, and he's you know it's before he's famous so. He's a little more flamboyant with the role. And it's about how like a mob of Italian guys, uh, like a local, local, uh, like what's the word I'm looking for? You know, the neighborhood watch, neighborhood watch guys. They're Italians. They're in the Bronx. They're going around. They're going to find the the son of Sam killer. And Ben Gazzar is in this movie and he's completely just wasted in it. A classic, classic Ben Gazzar, wasted, terrible. Um, So you have... You know, the, these guidos going around with bats, and then they just decide, Adrian Brody's gay. He must be the son of Sam. And so they're going to go and kill this guy. And they don't even really do that. They just beat him up for like 30... And this is the big climax of the movie. John Leguizamo has to set up his friend, Adrian Brody. They beat him up for 30 seconds. And then Mike Starr from Dumb and Dumber, big fat guy who, who dies of a heart attack in Dumb and Dumber, runs out in his boxers with a gun. And then it's just over. Just because he's gay? Yeah, because it's the 70s, and they're like, well, he's living a double life. He's saying he right. beat up this gay guy at this gay club. I think I think he might be a serial killer. All right, well, never mind. I don't like that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly don't remember any of that happening, so I might have not even seen it. It, uh, it was. Uh, it's more of a slice-of-life kind of film. So if you're not okay. into that, then you're not going to be into Summer of Sam. Uh, How's his uh, camera work in it? Uh, he's kind of he gets away from himself a little bit, and it's not conventional, but it's it doesn't feel like classic Spike Lee. I feel like once he did Jungle Fever or Mo Better Blues, or maybe it was Malcolm X, because that one probably took a lot of a lot of work, a lot of energy out of him. He stopped doing like black identity films, and he tried to get more into. Um, you know, things like that. He wanted to explore a little bit. I think, I mean, Girl 6 came out in 97 or, or something like that. And uh, that had his rival, somebody he hates, Quentin Tarantino, who cast him in that movie. And it's about, I believe, a phone sex operator. I've never seen it before. Um, that might be his worst reviewed film. Does He got game with Denzel Washington and uh, what's the basketball player? Ray Allen? Ray Allen. And that movie's really good. That That, that was probably like his last yeah, great yeah. film. Of the 90s. He winds up doing Bamboozled, which is an interesting film that I think winds up being a mess. <laughs> that that is has been recently included in the Criterion Collection. What? Yeah. Okay. They, they've been trying to get woke. If you use the Criterion Channel app, it's a lot of like very obscure movies now from uh, women filmmakers from like 1931 or something. I don't know. Who cares? Who's watching that shit? Bamboozled does it's some a, interesting things. I guess I'm just curious as to what Criterion is going to do with that cover. Because if you look at the cover for Bamboozled, it's literally a, a drawing of a black stereotype eating watermelon. Google it. They left it. They left it the same. Whoa, okay. So, 
That movie's Great about movie. Damon Wayans, who's a network executive. He decides to bring back blackface as a form of entertainment in mainstream media. And uh, it's a little cartoony, but there's some interesting creative aspects to the movie. And then I think 25th Hour is probably like the end. The end of, his, end of phase one of his career. And everything that follows is not very good or it's very commercial and void of his style. That's what I was going to say. Because I remember uh, Inside Man was good, but it didn't feel like a Spike Lee movie at all. It just felt like an action movie. Yeah. Or he, like a... I, think, I think he got to a point in his career where maybe the later films were not making the returns that he would have liked. And he wanted to take on a more commercial career as like a gun for hire type director. Right. And so Inside Man, I think, is, is, is a great example of that. And even the old boy thing. I mean, Ugh. Spike Lee's version of old boy probably would have been better than what we wound up seeing. But that was a lost cause no matter what. Didn't you do a documentary on it? I did a documentary on what Spielberg's old boy would have been. All right. That would have had right, Will right. Smith, and it would have been more based on the manga. It wouldn't have had that twist at the end of it. So uh, would we have been better off in that timeline? Maybe. Maybe. I don't think Josh Brolin's a very interesting choice for the Odesu character. You want for a guy, that character, yeah. I mean, because Josh Brolin, I mean, what's his role in every movie? He plays, like, hard ass, you know? Hard ass, yeah. Hard guy, yeah. Troy Min-Sik. Chin. Chin can, guy. Yes. <laughs> that strong chin. Right. And he's not even like the best guy who can do that. That t- I mean, he, nothing against Josh Brolin, but if you've got like Ben Affleck in that role, maybe you got more flexibility. You see him as a drunk slob, a drunk fat slob, and then he hardens up. Great. Um, somebody, you, they should have cast more to the type of uh, actor that Choi Min-sik was in the original, where he's like a goofball, he's round-faced, he's got a big moon face. Yeah. You can believe him. He's funny. He's a funny actor. And then, he's a mess too. The yeah, he's a mess. a mess. Yeah. And then when he gets out of his imprisonment, you believe him as the force that he becomes that's bent on revenge, right? Yeah. Somebody like Gary Oldman, I think, would have been perfect for that type of role, who has flexibility. Or <clears throat> if he was still alive, I think Robin Williams could have been a very interesting choice for that. Okay. Uh, where you have goofball Robin Williams, and then he becomes like one-hour photo Robin Williams, you know? But right. Yeah. Didn't happen. We I don't got, know. We got I Josh Brolin. Uh, Steve Little in that role. Janowski from It's Man on Down. I think he would be great in that, in that role. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very interesting. That would be a very interesting version of old. That's that's what I'll say. Are you that. are you just to get out of uh, the subject a little bit? But are you aware of like his career, Steve Little, and how he he pretty much plays that character on everything? But it's I don't know. I every time I see him, I'm just like ah Stevie. Like it, yeah. I don't care. Like it's one of those those actors where I'm just like oh great, he makes it better even though he's pretty much the same thing every time. Did you ever see uh, the Cachism Cataclysm? He, that is that the one where he has like a contest with his brother or something? No, no, no. Oh no, no, no. he's a priest, right? He's a priest and he links up with this guy who hooked up with with his sister when she was a teenager, like back when they were kids. And uh, you know, he was younger, so he like looked up to this guy 
even though he came by only to fuck his sister a couple of times. He invites him out to like lunch or whatever, and then they go out like to the woods or something in a canoe, and uh, it gets weird. But it, it's executive produced by David Gordon Green and Danny McBride and um, Jody Hill, and it's done through their company, Lake okay. House. And it is a very funny movie. But yeah, he's Stevie Janowski in that as well. He just you can't do much with that voice. Where no disrespect to him, like his natural voice, he sounds like he's got a disability. You know, he's a cartoon. Yeah, he sounds like a cartoon. Yeah, like someone's doing that voice. That's not his real voice. That's what I thought when I when I first started watching uh, He's Running Down and he popped up. But then you see him everywhere else. It's like, oh, that's just him. Where, where else have you seen him? Because I, I have not seen Steve Little in anything. I might have seen him on like a CBS show or he might have done a voice on Cartoon Network at one point. But I have I have not seen him actually pop up in any new TV series or movies. Uh-oh. I think we might have lost Hans there. So uh, anyway, if you haven't watched the, the Cachism Cataclysm, it was an independent film. I think IFC might have released it back in 2012, 2013. Steve Steve Little, I was going to call him Steve Janowski, is the only known name within that movie, but it is a very funny comedy. What what else have you seen Steve Little in? Because I've I, I you know before you you got disconnected there, I have only seen him in like a CBS sitcom, and I think he might have done a voice on like a, Adventure Time or one of those shows. You just see him pop up on on shows and like odd type of uh, Adult Swim like stuff. I've seen him. Just pop up, uh, but just like random roles like that, where you're not expecting him to to show up, and then there he is. I mean, why why don't you think he's been included in the Righteous Gemstones yet? He's somebody who should get a lot more work because his personality <laughs> is so distinctly him, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm, they're probably saving him for season two. I'm hoping they're saving it for season two. They have enough weird characters, I think. But it w- it would be funny to bring him up as maybe another mega church guy but he's from i don't know somewhere where that character would fit where do you think in the states like if you see him what what do you think wisconsin (laughs) what do you think somewhere midwest yeah like virginia north carolina you could see that i thought it was a nice touch at the end of vice principals where he comes in as the new assistant vice principal yeah that was good yeah oh he he was in uh reno 911 and then he popped up in episodes of like Comedy Bang Bang and you know those shows that were kind of there at the beginning of the 2010s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I have oh in the league he was also in the league. So just just you know playing that character but just popping up. Uh, he did a lot of those uh, quote unquote weird comedy shows in the in the early 2010s. So that's why he's recognizable. But yeah, I, I think he would be a great add to that serious i'm surprised they haven't uh whatever happened to ice principles did they cancel that no that was always planned to be a two season series where one season was going to be done by david gordon green the other was going to be done by jody hill and that was that so uh that that show's done i'm pretty sure there won't be a third season it was very good as is um right and i'm 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 cool with the Righteous Gemstones being like the new show for them to be in for now. It's great. I think comedy-wise, uh, recently is one of the very few few good examples of a show that's actually making you laugh. You know, something that's actually funny and just slaps you in the face with something you're not expecting. Yeah. 
the comedians aren't secret pedophiles luring right. 14-year-old girls or, to their hotel room after performing in in Delaware or wherever I don't know you know or uh, or space force you know something ah, like that space force oh <laughs> wow you know I don't I don't even bother looking at things like that nowadays you know I know better nope. than that I know you know Steve Crow is never funny to me anyway I thought he was fine in the 40-year-old virgin Yes, and that's his best performance, I think. That was about his it. most like likable one, I guess. His most likable one because even the one in the office, the character just became really retarded at the end of it. So, but even that's, then, that's the problem with any U.S. sitcom, especially if it's on a major network like NBC or ABC or CBS. You, you, your your characters will never find themselves in an area of gray because they have such a low opinion of their viewer base. Right, and I've I've been told this before by people that, you know, work on very big series for for networks like that, where they do view their 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 audience as retarded. They absolutely do. They have a very low opinion of the audience's intellect, and so they dumb everything down because they they you think can they tell. can't yeah. handle it. So, uh, but then it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. If you just feed somebody McDonald's their entire life, they're not gonna, you know have a palate for something a little more sophisticated uh, right. like like a spike lee joint 